I'm so glad you're here this morning. How many's happy? Ready for what God has for your life? Amen. Um, I am finishing up this series on when the attack, when the enemy attacks. This is our third week. Um, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many has been under attack the last three weeks? You can raise your hands. Hallelujah. I'll raise both my hands. How many know the devil gets angry when you start ex exposing his tactics? <clears throat> so he'll come in that back door anytime that he can. But um, we're learning his tactics, amen. We're exposing the darkness. We give no glory to the devil because we already know he is defeated. He is under our feet. But we're just going to recognize his tactics and how he moves in our life. And so the first Sunday... If you've missed any of them, I talked about the enemy being the deceiver and how he comes and deceives. The second week, last week, I talked about how he is, there's a lot of talking going on in here, okay, sorry. And the second one is he's the accuser and he comes to accuse you of your wrongdoing. And today, we're going to be talking about how he comes as the destroyer. We have to understand that we are in a real battle, aren't we? And even though we know the devil is defeated, he is very good at his tactics. He's very good and skilled at his schemes. He's got a team and an army that rally together. They come and they sit together and they get a strategy of how they can bring destruction to you. They get a strategy of how they can trip you up. And the enemy knows exactly what buttons to push in our life that can kind of catapult us in an emotional downhill. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I know the devil knows my buttons to push, and I'm trying to learn to take authority over those and really take that territory and recognize it right away out the gate. And so we want to expose. I believe sometimes when the enemy starts wreaking havoc in our life, like he just sits back, you know, with his little, with his little minions, just kind of like eating popcorn watching us. Like, yeah, let's just see where this takes them, you know. And I think we have to get to a place in our life and go, I'm not going to be entertainment for the devil anymore. I'm not going to entertain his tactics. I'm not going to entertain his ways anymore. I'm going to recognize who he is and what he does in my life, and I'm going to be more than an overcomer. I'm going to be victorious in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's time for us to rise up mature believers and go, ah, that was the enemy. Oh, that's the voice of the enemy, or this tactic is the enemy. Then we have to remember that we don't fight against flesh and blood. I swear we need to get that tattooed everywhere. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Now the enemy will use flesh and blood because that's a tax it. He'll poke you with somebody close to you, offend you with somebody that you care about. Why? Because that's his tactics. But my battle, the true battle, is not the flesh and blood in front of me. It is a spiritual battle. Say spiritual battle. It's against powers and principalities of the spiritual realm. And we as believers need to start exercising our God-given authority in the supernatural realm. When there's a buffet against you, it's the enemy. If you're getting frustrated and angry, it's the enemy. If you're spinning your wheels, it's the enemy. We have to step into who God said that we are and take territory in that area that he wants to control in our lives. Amen? I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is being attacked like never before. Okay, in my lifetime. I haven't lived long enough to know if it's the worst. But I listen to teachings during the week. I listen to other pastors. I speak with other pastors. So many pastors are talking about the enemy and his schemes. 
So many pastors are talking about the weapons of our warfare. And I believe, and I didn't know that when God gave me this message. And I believe that the pastors are preaching this message is because there is an attack against the church of Jesus Christ. And if the devil can get in the hearts of the church and the hearts of the believers and keep us buffeting one another, keeping us be offended or all these things that he does to keep us out of relationships, keep us out of the house of God, then the church of Jesus Christ cannot move forward in the anointing and the power that we are called to move forward. Amen? Devil's fighting hard right now. He's taking every low blow he can. And at Faith Builders Church, I want us to be mature and say, you know what? What he used to work for me is not going to work anymore. I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to rise above it and be who God's called me to be. His mission is to come against the people of Jesus Christ. Let's look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He said this, stay alert. If there's ever a time that we need to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, it is right now in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Stay alert, not to what everybody else is doing. Not to what's going else in everybody else's world, but stay alert. What? Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Now, I'm not a devil-conscious preacher, and I don't think we should go around looking for a devil because you'll probably find one. But I'm trying to say, what enemy comes against you? Be alert. Be attentive. Be on the top of your game and say, oh, I recognize you, devil. You used that last year, but you ain't using it this year. You took my joy and stole my peace last time. You're not doing it this time, right? Because I'm watching for you. I'm looking at your schemes, and I'm going to be aware to what the enemy is throwing at me. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, not your marriage partner. Don't be poking nobody next to you. It didn't say the enemy, your pastor. It didn't say your friends. It doesn't say your boss. The enemy is the devil. And the Bible says he prowls around roaring like a lion. He is deceptive and he's cunning and he's prowling around at every opportunity to pounce into your life. And what does he want to do? He's looking for someone to devour. Where's my verse at? To devour. It means he wants to swallow you up. He wants to drink you down. Everything that's in your life, he just wants to take it all out of you. Why? Because you're important to God. You're important to the kingdom of God. Your part matters here on earth. Amen? The enemy is looking. His mission is to do what? Steal, kill, and to destroy. That's what his mission is. And it's a real mission. And he'll push whatever buttons, he'll use every strategy he can to steal from your life. But the Bible says that Jesus came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. So when the thief comes to steal from my life, I'm going to say, not today, devil. I've got life. I've got it more abundantly. I've got my joy. I've got laughter. I love my church. I love my pastor. Somebody say hallelujah. I love my friends. I love my church family. Why? Because devil, you can't steal from me any longer. Amen. Jesus came. I'm going to give you life. The devil comes to steal your joy. He comes to kill your peace. He wants to take away your contentment. If there's anything I had to contend for during COVID was my contentment. 
Because I am a strategy pastor. I love to get things in motion. I want a hundred things happening. And I had to learn to sit back and be content and trust God. But I'm like, but God, I want to do this and we should do that. And God's like, "Uh uh-uh, don't move until I tell you to. See, we think being busy is doing good things for God. But the devil will get you busy so that you're distracted and lose all contentment in the kingdom of God. And when you're so busy, you have no peace and you have no ability to hear the voice of God. Sometimes we got to slow down, amen, put the brakes on in life, it's okay, and let God begin to download, let God begin to speak, take time to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is stealing your joy? What is stealing your peace? What is taking away your contentment? What will the enemy do? He'll attack friendships. You know, some of my long-term destiny relationships were attacked at the beginning. They were attacked. The devil came in with division and strife, and maybe we were different and we were combative. But the more we stepped into Jesus in that relationship, we found out it was an iron sharpens iron and ended up being a covenant relationship because the devil wants to separate people in the kingdom so that we can't come together in the unity of the faith. Different, but in unity. Amen? We need to be different, but we have to be unified. He'll come to attack your finances, your family, your relationship with God, and how about your physical body? Amen? He comes. The enemy has strategic forces in your life, and you have to recognize the places that he is going to come in your life. The last two weeks, we learned this. Satan is the deceiver who targets your minds with lies. I encourage you, jump online and listen to that this week. Week two, we learn Satan is the accuser who targets your heart with accusations. Today is going to be an interesting one, and it's a little more challenging for us to hear. And I can only preach it because I have walked through this personally. And it is Satan is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. And we're going to talk about the enemy of pride Because I used to think that pride came in when you were at your weakest, you know, when everything was weak and going wrong, and and all of a sudden the devil comes in, and he does come at our weak points. He does come when, when life seems to be a little down, but he also comes in moments when life is going good, when the church is moving forward, when you're starting to make strategic decisions for your life to move ahead and strategize. Things start looking good. The enemy will come because that's when you're the most vulnerable. And you know why? Because you're not looking for it. Life is good. Church is good. Relationships are good. And here comes the enemy. Why? Because you're not recognizing. You're not on alert to where the enemy can sneak in your life and try to steal from you. So we're going to look at an Old Testament story. Some of you may be a little familiar with it, maybe new to some of you. But Satan had a poised strategy against King David when he was discouraged. And the enemy attacked him, not when he was discouraged, but at the height of his popularity, at the height of his success and his power is where the enemy snuck in the back door of his life. David was a young man, rose up in, in for God. He was an ordinary little shepherd boy. He attended his, the family's sheep. He was a shepherd, and he showed up on the scene one day to fight Goliath. He was only delivering sandwiches, but God had another plan. And all of a sudden, this young man became the hero of the faith. He's like, well, if nobody will take Goliath down, guess what? I'll take Goliath down. He rose up. He became an influencer. This little boy became a war hero. 
If it was someone that was today, it would be one of your social media influencers. TikTok, Instagram, became instantly an influencer, right? He became so popular that women begin to write and sing songs about King David. I want to ask the wives today, have you written songs about your man? You just open up your door and your husband comes home, oh, you're so wonderful, my man of God, sent by the Lord in my life. I can't sing. I need one of the team to do it. But he was so famous and popular that women celebrated him, right? So it was a place where David was about to stumble when he appeared the strongest. And if you look at David's journey, there is people who debate was what was the greatest sin in his life? Was it the adultery with Bathsheba? I mean, that sounds pretty bad. Or was it when he had uh, Uriah killed, the husband murdered on the front lines? There's all these debates as to what really was the worst sin that David did. But there was a root to David's sin. There was a root that led to adultery. There was a root that led to murder. See, the enemy comes in at a time in our life where maybe we're unstable and unsure of what the future holds. And we want to catch our bearings and and we want to prove ourselves. And the enemy will come in with, I believe, a stronghold of pride so that we don't look a certain way to people, certain people. We want our lives to appear perfect. We want our lives to feel like God is on our side. And that pride led David to the greatest sin in his life. And that pride led him to lust. And that pride eventually led him to murder. Now, I'm not saying when pride comes in our life as believers that you're going to go like all the way down the road to murder because I've had pride and I never murdered anybody. But I'll tell you this, in my pride, I'm sure I've hurt people along the way. And we have to be very careful of that. And in David's pride... He indirectly, through his adultery and his behavior, four people were were killed. Uriah was killed, the baby died, Amnon died, and Absalom died. In his own self-righteousness and his own ability to think he's somebody, there was great loss. And I'll share my story here in just a little bit. But And because of David's sin, because of his pride, 70,000 people died because he wasn't willing to humble himself before the Lord. I think the hardest thing to do as believers is to humble ourselves to God. Even in the presence of God alone, even when we're with God one-on-one because we're warriors or we're fighters or we, we want to prove something right, but there's an anointing in humility. There's ability to hear God when we come humble before him. I don't know all that's going on and I don't understand everything, but Lord, here am I. I don't want to leave a trail of broken friendships and relationships. I don't want to leave a trail of having to go through 50 jobs because I don't understand what's going on. God, humble me. Show me the areas of my my pride that I'm letting the enemy come in that keeps destroying the fruit of my ground. It's very destructive. And let's look at what happened in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. David was at his pinnacle. He's feeling good about himself, feeling like he's the hero. And it says this, Satan rose up against Israel. Now, what I want you to see is the enemy's strategic desires is to rise up against Israel, which is the symbolic of the church. Even take it a little smaller, the people of the church. We have to be so mindful that we are not contentious in the body of Christ. 
And that's why we fought so hard during COVID and social justice and all the things and our differences that we are in our life. We, I felt like I was tethering 50 different beliefs. Like, it's okay, guys, we have Jesus. It's okay, guys, we have Jesus. Oh, but what about this? It's okay, we have Jesus. Well, what about social justice? It's okay, we have Jesus. Why? Because the devil attacks the children of Israel. And if he can divide us and get us offended and get us fighting over trivial things, then he wins. But the church, if we will contend for unity as strong as the enemy fights for division, man, we would take force for the kingdom of Jesus. Amen. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. And he told them, hey, listen, yeah, my following is getting pretty good. I want you to go count the people for me. And I want you to count them as far as Beersheba all the way down to Dan so that I may know how many people are following me now. Right? So when we're at the top of our game, we've got to be careful. I also believe the enemy comes when we're just about to have a breakthrough. I think when God is about to break the church wide open, bring deeper relationships into you, bring favor into your life, boom, the enemy's right there. Because you're about to break through into something you've never taken territory before. And that's when you need to be on high alert. Get ready, because I know the enemy's going to come. Not when, not if, but when he comes. Because he's going to oppose you. Remember, we learned that last week. He's going to oppose you from where God wants to take you. And we need to get that enemy out of the way so that we can see what God has for us right in front of us. Amen? So here's David. I believe his favorite song was, We Are the Champion, My Friends. <laughs> Feeling like he's a hero. Even his friends are saying, You're amazing, David. You're called, David. Look what a mighty man of valor you are. And he's like, that's right. I am amazing. I am called. I am somebody special. And you can hear the deception of the enemy. Were those true? He was called. Was he anointed? Yes. Did he take great battles? Yes. But David was bringing glory to himself instead of glory to God. And that's what we got to be very careful because the enemy would make, will make us inward. Well, what about me? What about mine? What about me? My promotion, my place, my voice, my anointing, my calling. Instead of saying, well, wait a minute, what about God? What about his kingdom? What about laying my life down willingly as a living sacrifice? Which when I'm living, I feel the sacrifice. It didn't say dead sacrifice. I'm living and breathing while I'm sacrificing myself to do what God's called me to do. It's never about you. It's always about him. Amen? So he said, told him up. I want to see how powerful that I am. Now, something I want you to understand about a census, there's nothing wrong with a census. It's powerful. And, and even God called Moses to have a census of the people that get account for them. But what God was challenging David here was the motives of his heart. And I have learned this. I've been serving Jesus since I was 17 years old. That's a very long time. And I have learned, I won't tell you how long, most of you know, but honestly, I've been doing this a long time. And God constantly gives me heart checks. 
And heart checks are those things that you don't understand why it's happening. You don't understand the decision. You don't understand the season. And God goes, I'm checking the motives of your heart. If there's any bit in you, I want to squeeze it out of you. And guess what? When God begins to squeeze my pride, I don't like it. It's not comfortable. It's not one of those downpouring, Holy Ghost, spirit-filled moments where, hallelujah, God is good. No, it's like, uh, I got some of me in here, and I don't like it. It's painful. You remember those old-fashioned uh, clothes ringers that you know, they put the clothes through? I went through a season. I went through that ringer. I'm telling you, I, I was at, at my dad's church. We launched our first church in Beloit, Wisconsin, which is still there today. And then my brother launched a church in Milwaukee, and then my dad launched this church here. But I was a part of that first church, and we watched it go from 10 people, or 12 people, seven was our family, to literally thousands meeting in our city. And I was running the church. I was a children's director. I was the youth pastor. And I was doing outreaches. And I, I was writing Bible curriculum. I was doing children's um, day camps or summer camps. I had all this success underneath my belt. And my whole time in my walk with God, I'm like, God, I do this all for you, God. All for the glory of you, God. I love you, God. I do this all for you. And guess what? I really thought I did. I didn't realize that pride was lingering in the core of my heart. And God's like, I'm going to take you through the ringer, not sickness or disease, but I'm going to put you in a position where I'm going to reveal the pride of your own heart, Barb. Because you don't even realize what's in there and where I want to take you. You can't have that on the inside of you. But I didn't know it. I love you, Jesus. It's all for you. Then God sends me all the way from Wisconsin to a church in Mesa, Arizona. Good church. But guess what? They didn't care I was Pastor Barb. They didn't care I prayed at the altars and cast demons out. They didn't care what I did in ministry. They wanted me to do what they wanted me to do. Guess what? I lost my beautiful office with windows. It was beautiful, wasn't it? I had a beautiful office. I made decisions in the church. I was in charge underneath my dad. Most of the time I thought I was in charge, but, you know, I had to get that checked all the time. My dad would take me like this. He'd go, read this sign on my door, senior pastor. That's right. I'm the senior pastor. God put me in a little cubicle facing this tiny little wall, little desk, I wasn't allowed to pray at the altars. They said, you're not going to be called pastor. I don't really care about that anyway. Titles mean nothing to me, literally nothing. Doesn't identify who we are, amen. You better know who you are on the inside. But I remember I, I gave, and some of you have heard this story, but I remember giving my, the guy I was under at the time, the whole youth program. I've done it. I've taken youth around the world. I've had hundreds of youth in our church, haven't we? We had a revival of youth. We had Bible studies. We had discipleship. We did street witnessing. I did it all. And then I put this whole packet together. I'm the youth pastor there, and I give it to my oversight person. And, and he literally went like this. He goes, eh, not interested. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, first of all, you little punk. <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, you punk, what have you done? And he looks at, no, I don't want to do that. So, you know, I do no submission outwardly. And so I remember going to my desk mad because I'm like, that will work. I've done that. That will work. And I literally said this, don't they know who I am? And I was like, whoa, 
where did that come from? God's like, there's a lot of you in you I want to get out of you. It was never about the program. It was about my heart. Pride had seeped in. I didn't even realize it. And had I continued with that heart, I would have hurt that church. And I'd have hurt the youth that God put me in charge of. And I remember taking that little notebook, and I found a room in the church. And I sat it down, and I was mad. I said a lot of mad things to God. And then I said, you know what, God? It's okay. I'll submit to whatever they want me to do. And you know what? I no sooner got back to my desk. I sat down after praying. Maybe he heard me pray. I was pretty loud. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was another wing of the church. But I, I had a good heart. My heart was checked. My heart was checked, you guys. There are heart checks in our walk with God. It is not about the person or the situation. God is checking your heart. And I took accountability in that moment because I was further ahead of this young man. I had been more, more experienced than this young man that I had to be submitted to. But God had to check my heart, test it. Is it about me, Barbara? Is it really about you? And it was about me. And I wanted to be validated. And I wanted to, don't, don't they see the annoyance? I've done all this. And God's like, uh-uh, get all that out of you. Get it out of you. I don't care what you've done. This is where you're at right now. Let this test you. Let this mature you. Let this grow you. And it was a hard season. It's challenging to the flesh. But I no sooner sat down with that notebook and I had a piece of God. I didn't false submit. I gave it to God, got my heart check. And I thought, well, if we only have 10 kids, we have 10 kids. I'll just do what they want me to do, you know. He walked over to my desk and he tapped on it. He goes, you know what? Let's go ahead and do that program. Just like that. See, when you submit to God, when you submit to the Holy Spirit, he will do whatever it takes to make things happen in your life. But when we are contending with pride and holding on to things like this, and God's like, hello, get it out of your hand. God's like, let it go. Whatever keeps you in this state of mind, let it go. Just get it out of you because what you're hanging on to is really God's like, if you'll let that go, I'm giving you greater than you could ever imagine, but you're hanging on to what is safe and secure and what you know instead of letting go of what you don't know and trusting me, right? So there's nothing wrong with the senses, but God was checking the heart of David. Heart check. Everybody say heart check. We're going to have them in the kingdom and serving God, especially when we work so close together. So Moses, when he was having a census, it was all about the focus was on God. How many people have been changed? How many lives now are following us? It was about giving God the glory. David was all about himself. What was his glory? What did he take on his, in his life? Amen? All right. So the enemy loves to attack you when you're in pride. And listen, when we are in pride, other people notice it. You don't think they do. You may not see it. You probably don't. But people around you recognize that pride. And they don't want to be a participant of that. It's difficult when we are in pride to see it in the mirror. It's hard for us to recognize. And the harder part is when someone tries to come and tell us about it and to receive it. Because it pokes the very thing that we're struggling with to begin with. Amen? And so what happened? Let's see. Um, I lost my place here, guys. 
Okay, so let's look at this. In 1 Chronicles 21, we're talking about other people see it. Joab, who was loyal to David, he did not like this assignment because he knew it came from the enemy. He even said to David, he said, listen, I hope there are hundreds of thousands of people following and and have been changed, but why are we doing this, David? Something inside of Joab said, this is not right, that we should be making this count at this time. So look at verse uh, 6 of 1 Chronicles 21. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of the Lord. So he punished Israel. Now I looked that up. There's a few reasons why Joab didn't count Levites and the Benjamites was because Levi was the, the tribe that took care of the church and there was no warriors. So he decided not. And honestly, it was prophetic in numbers that they should not be counted in, in the Israel's count. And the Benjamin was the smallest of the tribe. But there was something inside Joab that says, I don't like what we're doing. And because David did it anyway, 70,000 people lost their life in the next course of events. There's so much damage that happens when we allow pride in our life. It's like a domino effect that happens when we're not careful to humble ourselves to God. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, when David cried out to Nathan, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. But then when he cried out to God in 1 Chronicles 21.8, he said, I have sinned greatly by doing this. It was a great recompense that happened after he fell into this pride. You may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. Because you can't see it. I could not see where I was at until I was put through a situation for God to reveal my heart. And you are vulnerable to the enemy because you cannot hear God in pride. You can't hear truth in pride. You can only see what you see. And we've all been there, haven't we? I'm not the only one up here. Amen. There was another young man, Uzziah, who was a king at 16 years of age. And he reigned for 52 years, and he did amazing things. He he created new weapons for battle. He trained men for battle. He was a skilled trainer. But something happened in his heart. And in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, it said, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. What happened? He was a king, and he had a realm that he could go through. He had authority in that realm, but Uzziah thought he was better than he was, and he went in to the place of the holy place of the temple and burned incense. And the king was not allowed there. Only the high priests were allowed to burn incense. And so all of a sudden, Isaiah, Azariah, I think his name is, Azariah, he's the high priest, said, what do you think you're doing in here? And he brought 80 priests with him, and they all gathered around him and says, you got to get out of the house of the Lord. You don't belong in here. And because of his pride, he lost everything. See, our pride will want to take us places that we shouldn't be at yet. Pride will want promotion before it's time. Pride wants validation before God's ready to work everything out. And it will only be to our downfall if we try to take things into our own hands. My greatest lesson is to let go and let God. 
I have done it, and it's hard to do. It's hard to shut your mouth, isn't it? It's hard to not want to validate yourself. But if you keep your mouth clean and your heart clean, God will speak for you. Don't go places we shouldn't go. Let God take you there. I've seen so many people over the course of time get in a hurry, and they don't want the process. Who likes the process? It's no fun. But what happens? When we get in this, the enemy will try to take you out of leadership. He'll try to take away your credibility. He'll hurt marriages. He'll break up friendships. He'll try to hurt your witnesses that you have to other people in your life. How does it manifest in our life? Actually, let's read Proverbs 16, 18. says this, Pride precedes destruction, and an arrogant spirit appears before a fall. And how does that manifest in ways we don't even realize? Like, I would never do that. Right? I don't need anybody. I got this. I'm good in my life. I don't need it, right? I'm at church every weekend, hallelujah. I'm a self-made person, glory to God. I deserve this in my life. I've worked hard after all. And those are all truths. But it's the motive of the heart. I know I've got a problem, but I don't want anybody to see the real me. And who are you to tell me what to do? (laughs) Or I'm not apologizing. It's not my fault. They were wrong. The Bible says blessed is the peacemaker. Who wants to be blessed? Then make peace. If you don't want to make peace, it's pride. I'm sorry. I know it's a little little tough. But I'm, I'm doing this to help us. Amen? It's not my fault. (laughs) Don't tell me what my problem is. Something beautiful is happening in in my life right now. And for many years, my heart has always been leading ladies, pastors' wives, for many, many years. And I would start something, and it just couldn't seem to get its bearing, you know, probably trying to start it before it's time. And this literally knocked on my door a few weeks, about a month ago now. And I started gathering at Faith Builders. We host First Ladies Prayer together. And it was our second month meeting, and it's just first ladies. It was so beautiful. We had eight different churches represented, eight different styles, and and our churches are all different. And we loved each other. We celebrated each other. Nobody was talking about how awesome they are and how big their church is and how none of that existed. It was a beautiful unity of God's love. We weren't there to try to impress each other. We weren't trying to, you know, be more extravagant than the other. It was a pure time of love. And for a group of leaders to come together, that takes humility. Because I want to feel important in this morning, and I feel a need to tell you all of my successes. But in a room of genuine, when it's genuine, that doesn't matter. I literally don't know how many people they have in their churches. They're friends of mine. I have an idea. But the other girls who didn't know each other, nobody knew. We sat there. We prayed for one another. We we cried together. We encouraged one another. It was the most beautiful thing I have seen. And that's going to be happening every month at our church. So pray for us. Amen. And guess what? They're all within five miles of this church. Tell me that isn't God. We're not competing with one another. We're here to love on one another. That's what the church should look like, amen? So how does God feel about pride? Let's look at James 4, and I'll I'll get through this fast. Okay, we'll run through this so your toes don't hurt. 
Verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That word opposes in the Greek is a military term. It literally means this, a full army ready for battle. When we are in pride, God has a full army resisting the pride. A full army. Submit yourselves then to God. What's that word submit, submit mean? It means it's, a, it's also a military term that means to voluntarily rank under. I choose submission to the one that ranks higher than me. That's true humility. It's not about what I think, how I feel. No, I'm choosing to submit, right? So pride, God opposes, I submit now. Then what happens? I resist the devil, and then he flees from me. The enemy cannot flee if there is the presence of pride. You have full authority when you have submitted yourself to God. Now, in that incident that happened to me, I could have submitted, right? I could have submitted to it, but my heart never be right. And I never had the blessings in my life and the favor that I had in that moment had I not really lowered myself to the rank of the authority above me, even though I felt like I was better and above. I had to lower my rank. I humbled myself, and God blessed it. That youth ministry went from, I think it was like six or seven to over 300. We were the fasting growing ministry in the church. I give no glory to me, but they were getting saved and they were getting healed. Why? Because I submitted to a rank above me. That's humility. So the one thing you're looking for is just waiting for submission. And then the rest just starts, just starts coming your way, amen? Verse 8 says this, come near to God or draw near to God. And what happens? He'll draw near to you. Amen. You don't have to elevate yourself. Even to God, just draw nigh to him. Let him draw nigh to you. Let him just love you. You love him. Work through all that stuff. Because the moment that you submit, now you have the power of God. When you submit to God and everything you're going through, now you have the ability to tell the devil to get behind you. Now you have the devil to say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me is defeated before me. And I'm not saying it from pride. I'm saying it from humility under the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know what, devil, you can't have my family. You can't have my finances. You can't have my marriage. Why? Because I am humble to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Draw near to God. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. And what will happen? He will lift you up. Keep that up there. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. When we submit to God, you have the strength of God. If you feel weak and out of control and want to take matters into your own hands, submit to God. <laughs> submit to God. Let him take the wheel. Carrie Underwood saying about it. <laughs> when it comes to the enemy, right, when it comes to God and Satan, heaven and hell, light and darkness, good and evil, there's no middle ground. You can't defeat what you flirt with. You can't defeat what we flirt with. Get it out of our hearts. Get out of my life. I'm not entertaining you anymore. 
James 4.4 says, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. That's a strong verse. That's in the New Testament. I'll just leave that right there. That is why we submit to God. I voluntarily rank underneath God. Why? Because your word is my God, my guide. Your spirit empowers me, and your will is what I want, God. I want your will above all things. Jesus was clear in Scripture that if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Amen? But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Humility says, I need God, and I'm so dependent on you right now, God. I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I don't understand things, but I need you, God. Guide me, direct me, comfort me, love me, give me what I need, God, to endure the season that I'm in. Say, it's not about me, not about me. The second it becomes about you, the enemy has a foothold. And we find that according to scripture when Lucifer, the great Lucifer, the one that God loved, I hear music. There's three arch, archangels, and I'm wrapping it up, guys. There's three archangels that, that archangels that God created that we know of in Scripture, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer was beautiful, and he was a worshiper. He was a worshiping angel. But what happened? Lucifer became about himself. He said, I want what I want, and I want when I want it. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 14, it says this. This was the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. Do we have that verse, Isaiah? Thank you. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. What do you hear consistent in Satan's statements? I, I, I. All about me. The devil is about himself, my will, what I want. Jesus is about God. And he said, thy will be done. Amen. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was going to lay his life down, he said, is there any other way, God? Take this cup from me. It's a burden he didn't want to bear. But then in submission to the one above him, to God, he said, I voluntarily rank under you, God. Is there any other way? Because I don't want this way. But he said, but not my will. Your will be done. It's not my plan, God. It's your plan. If there's any other thing I could do or go through, but God, not my will, but your will be done. There's many times I wanted to jump out of that frying pan or the wineskins as we call them in scripture. But I'm not important, God. Your kingdom is important. It's not my popularity, God. It's your sovereignty. It's not my wishes, but it's your will be done. Let me share this with you. Humility is not weakness. It is strength. And we may view it as a weakness because pride says, hang on and fight. But humility says, I am strong enough to let go and let God. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. 
God gave us many weapons or the suit of armor in, in the Bible in Ephesians. It talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the, the belt of truth. But there was one weapon he gave to defeat the enemy, and it was the sword of the Spirit the word of God. The other ones are when the enemy's coming against you, you resist him, but you've got the word of God to run towards the enemy. Let's take our sword this week and say, no more devil. No more in my house and in my heart and in my future and in my family and in my destiny and in our church and in the kingdom. No more will you use those tactics against me anymore. I'm gonna submit to God, truly, to God. Why? Because he is king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And he is our soon returning king. And the Bible says he'll come with a sword in his mouth. That same sword he's coming with is in your mouth. Take that sword this week, amen. Let's put pride underneath our feet. Let's get rid of those things that we're hanging on to so desperately and say, God, it's yours. I need the presence of God back in my life. I need the peace of God. I need the favor of God. Amen. I need God's presence in my life. So let's go ahead and pray today. Father, I thank you today for this amazing church. And God, I thank you for my journey in my life, Lord, that you have exposed many times the areas of pride that God really disgusted you. And I thank you, God that you're still working in and through my life and through all of our lives, Father God. Let us recognize that spirit of pride when it rises up, Father God. Let us recognize that presence of the enemy that tries to come in so strong, God. And we will submit to you, Holy Spirit. We'll submit to you and your presence and your love and push out the forces of the enemy, God. I just pray over every family here today in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I just see that um, there's some here this morning and maybe even watching that it's not pride of arrogant pride, but pride came in through disappointment and feeling like a failure and that the enemy's just preying on that and, and, and just like God's saying, just let that go. Whatever felt like a failure in your life, whatever felt like a disappointment, God says, let it go. Let my grace and love just cover that thing so that the joy and the peace of God can flood back. Because pride wants to hide things. Pride wants to conceal things. And, and God says, just come out of that cave. You don't have to worry about that. Just let it go. And peace will flood like a river over your soul. There's things you couldn't control, and now you're trying to conceal. And God says, let it go. And Father, we thank you for that today. And I want to give everyone the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm looking around. I know pretty much everybody, but you never know the places in our hearts that God wants to get a hold of. So I want you just to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sin. Forgive me of pride. I shut that door in my life. I put the blood of Jesus over it. And I am moving forward. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a great big praise this morning. Amen. Listen, God has great things for you, amen. Great things for your family, great things for this church. 
And uh, let's just get excited for what God is doing. Amen?